0: And turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 verses 1 through 4. We'll continue in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have your then you will have to reward you will So that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. We're going to be looking today at the, the truth that we can pretend that we are something that we're not. And here is a, a story illustrating that. It's from written by a woman. She said, when I was in high school, my younger sister heard of this girl through her friends on YouTube. Her name was Carrie. And she was seven years old and lived in Ireland. She had a terminal illness. We added her on Facebook, and she had several pictures. We would Skype her, but she never had video on because the camera was broken. And she would tell us stories of things she did and talk about her siblings. And soon after, she would post pictures to Facebook, and everything seemed to match up. She had several people who appeared to know her in person and even family members commenting on the posts. She seemed 100% legit, and my sisters and I dedicated our lives to raising awareness for this little girl. My sister and her YouTube friends constantly dedicated videos to her, and I spent hours Facebook messaging and on the phone with her, thinking I was keeping her company while she was sitting in the hospital. Before long, something started to feel fishy. My sister's friends launched a full-on investigation and ended up finding out that it was a teenage girl... Using pictures from Facebook of a girl named Megan, who actually did have cancer, Carrie, in quotes, made up this story to get donations and gifts from people around the world. We couldn't believe how elaborate the story was, as she had created an entire extended family and network of friends on Facebook to go with this Carrie story. It was truly crazy, crazy. Now, I think... This is called catfishing. Uh, You basically make up some online persona and pretend to be somebody that you're not. Another slang term is poser. We could be a poser. We can pretend that we are uh, somebody that we're not. We can pretend to have some ability that we don't. Just this week I saw online uh, a YouTube video of somebody that was uh, teaching people how not to look like a poser at skateboarding. Um, it wasn't really telling them not to be a poser. It was really teaching them how they could be a better poser um, and, not, and not be caught. And what we're going to find today as we look at Jesus, as he speaks again in the Sermon on the Mount of having a righteousness that is better than the righteousness of the Pharisees, uh, that we would have a better righteousness in the righteousness of the Pharisees that we're going to look at today is a poser righteousness, not a true righteousness, and that our righteousness must exceed that of the poser righteous of the Pharisees. So what did the Pharisees say and what did they pretend to be? They pretended to be people that cared about God, but they were really just trying to get applause from other people. Matthew 6, verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And Jesus calls this kind of posing hypocrisy. When we think of hypocrisy, normally we think of somebody that that says one thing and then they do exactly the opposite. And we will find instances of the Pharisees in that kind of hypocrisy In the New Testament, but in this particular case, it's a hypocrisy that is a pretending to be something that they are not or do something that they are not doing. What Jesus is about to cover is a trio of righteousness, of piety that is well respected in uh, Jews of this day and, in fact, is well respected and commended to us in Scripture That trio is giving uh, to people in need is the first thing. The second is prayer. And the third is fasting. And he will address, as we've seen in chapter 6, verse 2, the subject of giving to the needy. In chapter 6, verse 5, he's going to address uh, prayer. And in chapter 6, verse 16, he's going to address fasting. And in all of these ways, the, the Pharisees were posers. In terms of righteousness. Today we're going to look at specifically on giving to the needy. And we're going to find that, in fact, uh, this is something that we should be doing. Um, all of these things, fasting, prayer, giving to the needy, Jesus assumes it. He, he says, when you do these things, uh, don't do it in this way. So there's an assumption that it'll be done. And in Exodus chapter 23, verse 11, we see uh, this emphasis on taking care of the poor. But the seventh year you shall let it rest, that is the land, and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat. And what they shall leave, the beasts of the field may eat. For you shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Again, there's a way in the law of God to take care of those. In the nation of Israel who were impoverished. The prophet Amos, for instance, says this in Amos chapter 5, beginning with verse 11. You trample on the poor, for I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You turn aside the needy in the gate. And we see John the Baptist speaking of what a heart that is repentant looks like. He says... In Luke chapter 3, verse 11, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. So my first question to you today is this. Do you do at least as well as the Pharisees do? Uh, Do you give to the needy? Uh, Are you concerned about the needy? But my main question for us today is, are you motivated by the applause of people instead of God uh, to do your acts of righteousness? Again, Matthew chapter six, verse two and three. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, would people actually sound a trumpet to announce their giving? Um, this section of scripture, a lot of ink has been spilled in, comment, in commentators on this. And, and some think, think it was uh, literal. Others think it was figurative. It, it could have been either. I don't know. Maybe people actually did that. Uh, but. We know that they tooted their horn in some way. They said, look how wonderful I am. I'm giving to needy people. And they draw, drew attention to themselves. In contrast to that, Jesus says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Again, he's using a figure of speech. They're not being literal in that case. But he's saying, don't trumpet what you do in your aid to the poor. Uh, keep your righteousness quiet. So does that mean that the shyest people among us are the most spiritual? You know, if you're, if you're given to a lot of talk, you know, maybe you're at a spiritual disadvantage. Well, the application for today isn't simply about being incognito and unseen. In that case, it actually would be fairly easy to keep this direction from Jesus. Uh, it, it's not as if Jesus is simply saying, okay, uh, you are giving to the poor... Good, but that's not enough. You now need to keep it quiet. If you keep it quiet and you give to the poor, job done. No, there's something deeper going on here. And we see that it's not simply about visibility uh, in terms of our righteousness. Um, For instance, Matthew chapter 5 verse 16, in the same way, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And more to the point, Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, Jesus uh, speaks of the, uh, the widow and her offering. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Well, they could see it. In fact, Jesus could see exactly what she put in. And Jesus did not criticize her for doing that. So the main point is this, that righteousness is not true righteousness without the right motivation. One of somebody in our church sent me this video last week, and maybe you've seen it. It's a, a video of a man. It's actually in Spanish, but you can tell what's going on well enough. He's got uh, two uh, large Labrador Retriever-sized dogs, and they're, uh, they're seated uh, very patiently. He's got his five-gallon bucket out of dog food, and he opens the lid up, and he pulls the two bowls out. And he puts the, uh, the dog food in the bowls, puts the lid back on, slides the five-gallon bucket up to the, the dogs. And they both go and put their front paws together on the five-gallon bucket. They bow their heads and they close their eyes. And he prays. And at the end of his prayer, he says, in Jesus' name, amen. And they immediately take off for the dog food. Let me tell you, parents, those dogs do a better job at prayer time than your kids, right? Those are very spiritual dogs. I know they do because they're better than what I did when I was a kid. Uh, but of course not. They, they want the food. They've learned to do what they need to do. They don't have motivation to thank God for their food. And in the same way, motivation in what we do is important when it comes to A true righteousness, not opposer righteousness. So let's talk a little bit about motivation. What are some of the ways uh, that our motivation is important? Uh, Number one, first way that we need to uh, consider our motivation is that we're helping others. We're not in it for ourselves. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. It's not about wanting to get attaboys, applause. In 1982, Flight 90, a, a 737 jet, crashed into the icy Potomac River. Some of you are old enough to remember that. It happened during rush hour in the evening. Uh, it hit a bridge, crashed into this river, and um, it broke up into pieces. And there were survivors in the water. And many people coming home from work stopped on the bridge. Many people came down to the river's edge. Uh, there was a, a helicopter coming in to try to rescue people and, and one man in particular, Lenny Skutnik, was on the side of the river and he was looking at it, one person in particular, a woman, and she was, she was fading fast. He could tell she was not doing well and, it, and she was not going to be saved by the helicopter and so he took off his heavy coat, he went into the water and he, uh, he dragged her to shore and saved her life. I was in uh, college at the time, I was a senior, a psychology student, a major, and I remember us having this discussion in our class, in our psychology class, and um, my professor talking about this event said that if this had happened in a non-public environment, nobody would have gone in to save her. And he was saying, when people see, it has an impact on what we do. Very cynical, right? Now, like I said, I was a psychology major. And what I found out from being in psychology and from talking to people that not only were professors, but also people who were counselors is they tend to be quite cynical. They tend to be cynical because they've dealt with people and their motivations. Now, I don't know if my professor was right about Mr. Skutnik. Uh, If he would have done it, if it had been some uh, place that had been completely um, out in the open and nobody else around. But what I do know is what my psychology professor was saying was true. In general, we are motivated by the applause, by uh, the praise of others. And true righteousness is to help others, not ourselves. Jesus said and the bible says love your neighbor as yourself. And this isn't just countercultural, this is counter nature. This is counter to the nature that we have when we come into this world. And Jesus says beware of doing your righteous acts to be seen instead of for God. Why is that? Because for one, there's such a danger, there's such a danger in our hearts naturally being selfish. We also learn that a righteous motivation is one that is motivated by the glory of God and not glory to ourselves. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, again here in the Sermon on the Mount, in the same way, let your light shine before others, So that they may see your good works and do what? And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Our motivation is for God's glory. Jesus Christ, again, uh, emphasizes this as he has dealing with ten lepers and he helps them in a tremendous way. Luke chapter 17: ten lepers are healed, and only one uh, comes back. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan and Jesus answered, "Were not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? It's what the purpose of. Our acts of righteousness, our acts of kindness, our acts of giving are for God's praise, not our praise. Righteous motivation also includes a focus on a personal relationship with our Father in heaven. Oftentimes we talk about our personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and, and we should. But we see here in this text that there's also an emphasis on a personal relationship with our Father in heaven, that our lives should be Father-centric, not people-centric. There's a a contrast here between those that have their lives focused on the Father and those that have their lives focused on people. We see this emphasis in particular in the Gospel of Matthew uh, more than the other uh, more than the other Gospels, uh, Matthew five sixteen. We've said in the, before in the same way. Let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Heath preached on this last week, five forty five. Matthew five forty five. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. And then Matthew five forty eight. Therefore. You must be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. And then beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Instead, uh, for then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. The poser pretends I'm tight with the father. I'm tight with my heavenly father. But in reality, he's doing it for people, not for his father in heaven. And we have this concept of reward that, again, puts the focus on where are you looking for your reward from? He says, truly, I say they have received their reward if they go out and they blow the trumpet in the streets and in the synagogues in order to be praised. They've received their reward from people. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees you in secret will reward you. Now, again, commentators and people that write on this, uh, they get a little nervous at this point. Uh, this whole concept of reward, I mean, after all, we do know that, that uh, none of us deserve uh, eternal life. None of us deserve to have our sins forgiven. None of us deserve that relationship with God. It's a gift of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Um, But then, even still, you know, this sounds a little mercenary. This sounds like a little bit of a formal business transaction. If I do this, then I get this reward. And yet, we reward our children. We don't have any trouble with that at all. Another psychology professor, uh, a different one, uh, was telling about how he was raising his children and rewarding one child in particular as he was doing potty training. He was using M&Ms to reinforce and to reward potty training. It all worked out really well until they discovered that their uh, son was allergic to chocolate. So that wasn't uh, that wasn't helpful. But we have a God who is omniscient. He knows everything. He knows what we need. He knows what's good for us. And yes, he rewards us. How does God reward us? Well, I suppose there could be many ways, many applications for this. He rewards us in this life. He rewards us in eternity. Um, But I'm going to focus on one that is particularly appropriate as we look at it in contrast to the reward that Jesus is talking about in what we receive from people. When we trumpet our good works, we receive the applause of people. We receive the praise of people. We receive the accolades of people. Instead, we should look for the praise and the applause of God. Now, you say, Pastor, that sounds a little heretical. Okay, So I do want to be careful here. If you've been joining us for a while, you know that we've been highlighting the fact that We are not good, right? Uh, We do a pretty good job of pointing that out. And the Sermon on the Mount does a good job of pointing that out. And I hope even in the passage today, as you've begun to to look at your own motivation for doing good, you probably see where you come up short. So I'm not talking about uh, the fact that you are so wonderful that God needs to applaud you. But we do see God saying... These sorts of things in Scripture to his children and to those who obey him out of a heart to please him. For instance, Romans chapter 2, verse 29, the Apostle Paul says, But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Hear that? The the person who is obeying God from the heart, his praise is not from man, but from God. There's a focus on our Father and seeking to please our Father. And this passage talks, I think, primarily about reward in this life. Matthew chapter 25, verse 23. This is a very well-known parable where Jesus concludes and says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. There will be a time when those who are in Jesus Christ will receive the phrase, Well done, good and faithful servant. So we're not perfect. We're plenty sinful. And yet the question is, what is your motivation In doing what you do. In giving and in any other thing that you do for God in obedience. Is it motivated to receive the applause of men or your Father who is in heaven? John Stott was commenting on our passage today about not letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And he says, The question is not so much what the hand is doing, passing over some cash or a check, but what the heart is thinking while the hand is doing it. There are three possibilities. Either we are seeking the praise of men, or we preserve our anonymity but are quietly congratulating ourselves, or we are desirous of the approval of our divine Father. And our heart, again, is not naturally, when we come into this world, set on living for the approval of our Father. Instead, it is for living for the approval of others. When I was in college, I worked for a radio station, a Christian radio station. We had a uh, a program guide in those days before the internet. uh, You had actual pieces of paper that would list uh, when the programming of the radio station was on. And we would get advertisers to uh, to put advertisements in the back of the program guide. And there was, a, there was somebody else that was working there that was uh, quite a bit older. He's an old guy, probably in his 30s uh, at the time. And uh, he was a little bit more savvy with uh, sales. And, and so he came up to me and he said, Ron, when you go out and you talk to the, the people, the business people, tell them that you can put their picture in the program guide. Appeal to their vanity. That's what he was saying. When I was looking for a college to go to, I was touring a particular Christian college, a major um, Christian university, and I'm only exaggerating just a little bit to say that there was a plaque on everything down to the toilets that listed who donated what. People like to be acknowledged by other people, that's natural. That we might be seen. You want to be set free from your narcissism. Be set free from your desire to live to please other people. And instead live for your destiny which is to glorify God and to live for his praise. So first of all admit that you don't do it and when you don't do it. And go to him and say, I want to live for you. I want to live for your words, for your praise. I want to actually do what's good for other people and not live for myself and live for their applause. So confess it and turn from it and ask God for help to do that. And secondly, admit that your heart needs a radical change, that you want to be freed to live a life For the praise of God. And then finally, you need to come to know the love of your father in heaven through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, all of these things are true, whether you have known that love for for 70 years or whether you've never known the love of God, have never known God as your heavenly father. uh, There's only one way that we come to know the father, and that is through Jesus Christ. You come by admitting your guilt, admitting your sin, this sin and others, and confessing it and desiring to be changed and transformed. And you are then um, you place your faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done. It's not about what you do. It's not about his transformation of you and enabling you to do something good. It's relying on the good work of Jesus Christ, his life and his death on the cross. And then. He brings you into relationship with the Father. So we read Jesus' words in John seventeen three, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And Jesus Christ goes on in his prayer to say this: "O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you that have sent; and these know that you have sent me." I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Repent and believe, know and grow in true righteousness, not poser righteousness. Stephen Curtis Chapman asks a question uh, via song. He says, there is a pressing question My heart's been asking, when I say, I love you, Lord, what does it mean? I know it's one thing to say it and another to do it. How can I show you it's true? I'm going to love you with my life. I want to love you with my life. I'm going to listen and obey. I'm going to live these words I say. I'm going to love you with my life. And the Apostle John puts it this way in his epistle. His first epistle, John 5, 1 through 3. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this encouragement from your word that we can be released from posing as people who are righteous and that more and more uh, we might have a real and a vital uh, righteousness as we seek to love you and to live for you. Father, I pray that you would cause us to be honest and open with ourselves and with you. And that we might uh, come to know you, if any don't know you, through Jesus Christ. And for uh, the rest of us, that we might uh, know you more and more, love you more and more, and live for you. Including as we give to those who are need uh, needy, uh, that uh, they might be helped and you might be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so let's sing to our great God and Father, ye servants of God. And uh, let's stand now and sing together.